All right, there we'll say good morning. Let's, uh, let's begin. So the share this morning is dedicated by Yankee Statman in honor of the participants and, and the one-year anniversary of the Shul Yarche Kala, which Amir Hashem will again take place in, in March, but uh, today marks the one-year anniversary of our first annual pilgrimage to Eretz Yisrael to learn and to grow and to do chesed. To have many more events like that, and to the statements for the sponsorship. So, as we're picking up today's daf is nun tes. We are picking up the last two words on nun ches on the base Omar Rav. So, Rav said the following: Ana havoi top of nun tes. Ana havoi beminyana de bay Rebbe. So, I was part of the base din of Rebbe. Now, if you take a look at Rashi. Rashi says over here, Ana havai b'minyana de Rebbe. Rashi says, Ba'osa minyan shetiknu shekalakodem likach zochot. So we'll say, remember again, going back to our Mishnah. So the Mishnah discussed again the Takana when it came to Sikrikun, that if you went ahead and you bought from the Sikrikun, so you went ahead and you paid a quarter, you paid a quarter ultimately to the original owner, and the mice, so again, it would be yours. So Rav says, I was a member of that days then, Uminoi Didi Manubaresha. And when tallying up the opinions, when tallying up the opinions, so they took my opinion first. They counted my opinion first um, from the members of the Beisdin. So the Gemara says, Rashi says, Mimani, Mimani Shalu Tchila Beshura, Kishani Yoshvin Madati Nota. So, so the point over here that the Gemara is making, that Rav is making, is I was neither the greatest member of the Beisdin, nor was I, nor was I the, I don't want to use the word lowest, lowest is the wrong, nor, nor was I the most, um, I had the smallest member of the Beisdin, although none of that really makes sense, but you understand what I'm trying to get. I wasn't the greatest member, I wasn't the smallest member, I was kind of in the middle. Rashi says over here, actually, that he heard that Rav was actually the Katan Shavu, and was actually the least important member of the Beisdin. In any event, Rav is saying that when they went ahead and they decided the law of Sikrikun, I, they started with my opinion first. So the Gemara says, really, but we learned, Dine Mamanis Vataharos Vatumos Maschilin Minagodo. So when it comes to a basin adjudicating matters of monetary law, or ritual purity or impurity, they always begin by asking the opinion of the greatest member of the basin. That's how it works with monetary law and ritual, laws of ritual purity. However, Vedini in the Farshos, when it comes to capital cases, Maschilin Minatsad. Minatsad ultimately means from the side, but what it really means is we start from the least important member of the basin, the least prominent member, and we work our way up to the greatest member of the basin. Look at Rashi. Minatsad. So the important idea over here is, what's the concern? If we start with the opinion of the greatest member of the Beisdin, when it comes to capital cases, we're concerned that what? That everyone else is going to fall in line with him. And we don't want that. We want all of the members of the Beisdin to think independently, therefore we go ahead and when it comes to capital cases, 
we start from the least prominent member of the basin and work our way up. Mama so, but I'm sorry, Mama. Mama and apparently we're not worried because again, which the, the logic, the logic behind it is, logic behind it is that as important as Dine Mamanis is, it doesn't carry the same weight. So, can you imagine you're on the basin and the greatest, most prominent member of the basin goes ahead and weighs in on a capital case? This is literally a matter of life and death. Everyone else is going to be a little bit intimidated to go ahead and rule a little bit differently. Apparently, that concern didn't apply by monetary law. For our purposes, remember again, so Rav is saying, I was the first judge consulted for my opinion. This is in a case of monetary law. Now, we just established before that in monetary law, we look for the greatest. We start with the most prominent member of the basin. So what's going on? So it is actually quite interesting that the basin of Rebbe had a different set of standard operating procedures and that for every single court case, no matter what the topic of the case, they would go ahead and they would always start from the least prominent member of the basin. This was just their, part of their standard operating procedures. So the Gemara of Amar, now the truth is, we'll say this is not just something the Rebbe made up. If you take a look at Rashi, Rashi says over here, Here's what's interesting. Now, Rashi quoted this passage before, Lo sa'ane al-riv. Lo sa'ane al-riv literally means do not go ahead and quarrel regarding, regarding a halacha. So the Gemara directions that to mean Lo sa'ane al-rav. Literally, don't quarrel with the greatest member of the basin. Now this passage is mentioned in the context of capital, of capital cases, of, of literally death penalty cases. So the Gemara directions that Lo sa'ane al-riv, which is vocalized as Lo sa'ane al-rav, means don't have the greatest member of the basin issue his opinion first when it comes to capital cases because others will be afraid or others will be intimidated to issue a different opinion. Rebbe was of the opinion that Losa'ana al-Riv slash Losa'ana al-Rav was a concept that applied to all cases adjudicated by a basin. And therefore, in the basin of Rebbe, in the basin of Rebbe, they always went ahead and they always went ahead and started from the least prominent member of the basin, and they gave the opinions like that. Amr, so this is just, just an interesting and interesting piece. So this is actually a very interesting statement. So Rabbi, the name of all these other Rabbanim said that from the dates of Rebbe, from the days, excuse me, from the days of Moshe Rabbeinu until Rebbe, we never found one person who possessed Torah and Gidula. So let's say Torah represents Torah scholarship, Gidula represents leadership. We, from the times of Moshe Rabbeinu to Rebbe, there was never one person who was both the undisputed Talmud Chacham, ranking sage of the generation, and also the undisputed, the undisputed leader of the generation. Moshe Rabbeinu had that quality, Rebbe had that quality, but in between the two of them, no one else possessed this. What does that mean? What that means is, 
they were great Hamidi Chachamim, of course, and they were great, and they were great leaders, but there was no one person who was the ranking Torah scholar as well as the leader of the generation. So Gemara says, that's true, below. Ha Hava Yoshua. But what about Yoshua? To which the Gemara says, Hava Al-Azhar. So we'll say what we're looking for over here is someone ultimately, again, who was a singular personality. So Yoshua, it's true, Yoshua was the leader, and Yoshua was also Tamtracham, but when Yoshua was alive, there was also, there was also Elazar. So meaning Yoshua was not the ranking sage or the ranking leader by himself. I, ha hava Elazar, says, ha hava Elazar, but after Yoshua died, Elazar was the ranking sage and the ranking leader who was left. Hava Pinchas, no, when Elazar was alive, there was still Pinchas. I, hava Pinchas, I, when Lazar died, it was just Pinchas. Havuzikainim, the elders were there as well. Ha-hava Shol. What about Shol? So again, again, the idea, what about, so the Yad Shol was the king and the ranking of Tracham. Hava Shmuel. Shmuel was there also. Vahanach Nafshe. But Shmuel died during the lifetime, excuse me, Shol died during the lifetime of Shmuel, to which the Gemara says, Kulhu Shani Kamiran. We're looking for someone who throughout the entirety of his career was the singular personality who was both the indisputed leader as well as, as well as the greatest Hamd Chacham. So I'll say, so in all of these cases over here, these individuals, yes, for a certain number of years perhaps possessed the title of being the greatest Hamd Chacham as well as the leader, but they didn't possess that title throughout the entirety of their career. So the Gemara says, David. What about David Amalek? Hava Ira Hayairi. David Amal's Rebbe, Ira Hayairi, was alive during his lifetime. Ay, Vaha Nach Nafsheh. But Ira Hayairi predeceased David. He predeceased David. And therefore, the Maisa, again, David was both the ranking sage as well as the leader. To which the Gemara says, again, Kulu Shani Karminon. Again, remember, we're looking for someone like Moshe or like Rebbe, who throughout all of the years that they were a leader, were both the leader and the ranking sage. What about King Chizkiah? We'll say King Chizkiah was the leader, he was the king. And he was also the ranking sage. Oh, did I skip? I'm sorry, thank you. What about Shlomo HaMelech? So the Gemara says, There was Shimon Ben Gera. Shimon Ben was the Rebbe of Shlomo HaMelech. I, by Vaha Kotle, but you remember, say the interesting Maisa where Shlomo executes Shimi Ben Gera. So at the end of the day, again, there is a time where Shlomo is by himself, to which again the Gemara says, Kulu Shani Kamrinon. The Gemara says, again, remember, we're looking, when we're looking for someone who throughout the years of his leadership, was both the Tam Tchacham, as well as the leader. And again, although Shlomo had a period of that, it wasn't for the totality of his life. I, Hahav what about Chizkia, King Chizkia? Have a Shevna. There was Shevna. You know what I'm saying? So Shevna, Shevna was also, Shevna of Michri was also again, Tam Tchacham and leader. So the Gemara says, Ha Ikdol, I but Shevna was killed. Kulu Shani Kamrinon. We'll say again, same answer. We're looking for individuals, the common denominator that we're looking for over here is someone who throughout the entirety of their years of leadership, was both the Tam Tchacham as well as the leader. These individuals served in that capacity for some of their years, but not all of their years. I, Vaha, Hava, Ezra. What about Ezra? Havi Nechemya. There was Nechemya. Excuse me, Nechemya ben Chachalya. Amar Avach Abreidi Rava. Av Ani Omeres. What do I say? Mimos Rebi Vaaz Ravashi. Lo Matzino Torah Ugdula B'makum Echa. So we'll say apparently... Like Moshe Rabbeinu and Rebbe, Rav Ashi was also one of these personalities who both 
was able to combine Torah and Gidula. So now you have, uh, now you have Rav Acha Bredrava saying, from the days of Rebbe until Rav Ashi, we did not find anyone who possessed Torah and Gidula. Torah learning, scholarship, and Gidula leadership in one place, Makom Echad. So now what you have over here is, you have Moshe Rabbeinu, Rebbe, and Ravashi. Right? Right? Three, three singular individuals who combined Torah and Gedula in one place. Sumer says, Velo, is that true? Vaha, Hava, Huna, Barnasan. What about Rafuna, what about Huna Barnasan? Huna Barnasan again, who was also Torah and Gedula in one place. To which the Gemara says, Shiny Huna Barnasan, to make if Hava Kaif the Ravashi. As great as Rafuna Barnasan was, he was subordinate to Ravashi. Okay, so I'll say, it's a beautiful, beautiful Gemara. So, I'm sorry? So apparently, even though they were considered to be a group, Ravashi was the greater one. Says the Gemara. Remember again, when we're talking about Torah Gidol Makomecha, we don't mean that he's this is the only great person. We mean this is the greatest person. He doesn't have an equal, there is no peer. To which the Gemara says that at the end of the day, so we have Marusha Rabbeinu, Rebbe, and Ravashin. Amazing. Says the Mishnah. Well, it's an interesting, an interesting halacha over here. Cheresh Romeis Venirmas. So as it says the Mishnah, Cheresh Rashi says over here, Romeis Venirmas, Mashu Romeis Kaim, or Mashu Romzim Lovum Sratzebo Kaim. Remiza biyado berosha. So as remember, Cheresh is a deaf mute. So the Cheresh goes ahead and literally motions. He does remiza with his hands and with his head. So he makes some type of gesticulation, some type of movement to indicate his ratzon. So says the Mishnah, what a Cherish is able to communicate with Remiza, and what he's able to understand from others through Remiza, ultimately creates transactional reality. So he could, he could transact certain things through Remiza, through this motioning of the, heads, the head and the hands. Or Ben Becerra Omer kofates v'nikbats. Ben Becerra says, no, he need, does not, he need not motion with his heads and with, with his head, not heads, with his head and with his hands, but rather he could even rely on kfitza, Rashi's kfitza, akimas svasayim, wording, wording certain things with his mouth. So, Bosa, so just so you understand, so remiza is considered to be a higher form of communication than kfitza. So motioning with what, one's head and one's hands is considered to be a higher form of communication than simply mouthing certain things. So therefore, again, the Tanakama of the Mishnah holds that a chirish can transact certain things, but it has to be through remiza, through motioning of the head and the hands. Ben Becerra says the chirish can even accomplish certain things through kfitza, even just through mouthing certain things. So, however, the Mishnah says, all of this is b'metaltalim. But all of this, B'mseir says, is only with movable property. We'll discuss in the Gemara what, what that means. So, meaning, so, literally, the, the, the Chirish has the ability to sell property or to buy property, according to the Tanakama, through Ramiz, according to B'mseira, through Kfitza, through, through mouthing something. Ha-pa'utos, mekach mekchan, Memkaran memkaran So we'll say putos are minors, children. Minors, children who sell property, what they sell is sold, and what they buy is bought, and all of this refers to movable property. Says the Gemara, Amrav Nachmin, Machlokis bimataltalin, Aval begin divriakol beremiza. So says Rav Nachman, the machlokis between the Tanakama and the Tanakama and Ben Mesera is only regarding metalatlin, movable property. The Tanakama will say that movable property can only be sold through Remiza, and Ben Mesera is saying even through Kfitza. On the other hand, when it comes to a get of Abigitin, 
Everyone agrees that the only way for a chirish to affect gitin is through remiza. Now, now, what does this mean by gin? Take a look at Rashi. First wide line in Rashi. Aval begin. The kaimal and chirish shenasa. Everyone agrees that if a chirish married, mission is charish, meaning he got married when he was already a chirish, in yotzi, kashim shenichnas paramiza kin moti paramiza. So we'll say, we actually saw this earlier. The idea over here is that a chirish could affect marriage, but it's rabbinic marriage. So how does a chirish affect marriage? Through expression of das to get married. How does he express das to get married? Through remiza. Through motioning of the head, motioning of the hands. The same way he gets married through Ramiza, he also can get divorced through Ramiza. So what the Gemara or Nachman is suggesting is that the Machlok is between Ben Besero and the Tanakama is only by the cell of movable property. That's where, that's where Ben Besero will say that Kfitza, mouthing words, is enough to, uh, to, to affect the cell of Metaltalin. But when it comes to a get, when it comes to rabbinic divorce for a Cherish, Everyone will agree, including Ben Becerra, that kfitza, mouthing something, is not enough. Rather, again, you need what he called, the Mishnah calls remiza, a motioning of the head, a motioning of the hands. So the Mar says, Peshita, that's obvious. The Mishnah said it explicitly. The Mishnah said that this machlok is Ben Becerra and the Chacham is only by movable property. To which the Gemara says, which makes it sound like everyone agrees that by a get you will require remiza. To which the Gemara says, Maudetema, what would you have thought? After Metaltalin, you might have thought that the Mishto should be read that the Machlokes applies even by Metaltalin, but that Ben Becerra and the Tanakama disagree even by Gitten. Kamash Malan, that is not the case. Kamash Malan, that by Gitten, everyone agrees that you require Remiza. The only Machlokes is by Metaltalin, where again the Tanakama says you need Remiza, Ben Becerra says you could even use Kafitza. Others have a different version of this exchange. In this second version, Rav Nachman is saying is the same way that Ben Bezer and Tanakama argue by Metaltalin, they also argue by Gitin. And literally, again, Ben Bezer will say that Kfitza is enough by Gitin as well. Aye. But the Mishnah says that this is only the Metaltalin, to which we have to say, read the Mishnah to say, even by Metaltalin, this is a Machlokis. So we'll say, so two versions of the Machlokis between Ben Mesir and Tanakama. We paskin, by the way, that when a Cherish affects Kiddushin, which he does have the ability to do, it's Rabbinic Kiddushin. He affected Biramiz, and we paskin like the first version of this, namely, that everyone will agree that the same way that the marriage is affected through Ramiza, it can only be dissolved through Ramiza as well, not through Kfitza. Says the Gemara HaPuutos Mekchan Mekach, Omem Karan Memkar Metaltalin. So remember the Mishnah said that children, have the ability to sell off the property. And the way they sell it off, ultimately, well, they have the ability to sell off. The, what they sell is sold. What they purchase is bought. And all of it supplies the movable property. Says the Gemara, Va'ad Kama. Now, what the Gemara is asking over here is the following. How old do children have to be in order to affect a transaction? You know, we'll say the novelty over here, the novelty over here is that generally we assume that the actions of a child are not legally meaningful. Here we're saying they are legally meaningful. There obviously has to be a cutoff, meaning if a three-year-old uh, sells his stuff, obviously we have to, so how old does a child have to be in order to affect some level of transactional reality? So, like six or seven years old. So Rav Kana said like seven or eight. In the Brisa we learned like nine or ten. 
I'm sorry. Below pligi, and they're not arguing. Kolchad v'chad l'fi chorfei. Both say the idea. They're not arguing. What, what they're what they're what they're talking about over here is at what point in time is the child sharp enough to be able to go ahead and understand what it is that he's doing. So what they're essentially saying is some children are sharp enough at the age of six. And some children are sharp enough at the age of 10. It depends on the intellectual astuteness or, or, or ability of the child. But time am I. Now, why is it that Chazal said that a child could go ahead and sell and purchase property? Meaning, again, normally we should say the transaction of a child is meaningless. Rashi says over here, Mishum Kedechayov. It's uh, the fifth wide line in Rashi. Dei lav zevine zevina lo mizbini le mizoni velo zabli mine. Both say because sometimes the children do not have an adult guardian to rely on. And if their transactions are not valid, what's going to happen? No one's going to want to buy from them and no one's going to want to sell to them. Therefore, in order to ensure that the children could literally exist, could, that they could survive, so Lemaisa, again, we go ahead and we allow their transactions to be binding. So says the Gemara, Amar Rabbi Abba Bar Yaakov, Amar Rabbi Yochanan. So Abba Bar Yaakov said in Rabbi Yochanan, I'm sorry, B'Shom Kedei Chayov. So we'll say, so once we call Rabbi Abba and Rabbi Yochanan, the Gemara just brings up another teaching. Vayomer la'asher, so here the Gemara is quoting from the Pasuk in Malachim Beis. Vayomer la'asher al hamel tacha, Remember, one of the one of the most terrible idolatries, not terrible, one of the most rampant idolatries that existed during the times of of Malchus was the Baal. So here, the pasuk is saying that he said to the person who was in charge of the Maltacha, take out clothing for all the servants of the Baal. So says the Gemara. Says the Gemara, my Maltacha. What's Maltecha? What does that refer to? Something about say that is rolled and stretched. It refers to fine linen. Maltecha is fine linen. Something that is rolled and something that could be stretched. It's actually interesting. Shiger lo bunyim ben nunyim. The Rebbe, so we'll say bunyim ben nunyim was a person. Rashi says over here. Rashi says bunyim ben nunyim Yisrael Ashir Hava. He was a very rich man. So this, so this rich, rich man used to send gifts to Rabbi. So Bunyim ben Nunyim sent Rabbi the following. Sivni, Vechomas, Salsala, Umalmala. So, so Bunyim ben Nunyim used to send to Rabbi uh, clothing that was made out of these very expensive materials. Sivni, Chomas, Salsala, Malmala. Sivni, Vechomas, Vechomas, Ke'amaguza, Upalge, Da'amaguza. So we'll say, the Sibni and the Chumas, the, the fabric was so fine that literally you could fold it up to be the size of one and a half nuts. So the idea is the fabric itself was so fine that when you folded it up, it, it would be tiny. Salsala um malmala, the material salsala malmala, ke pistaka upalgi de pistaka. But if you look at Rashi, Rashi says pistaka is gallnut, gallnut. Others translate this as an, as an acorn. So the idea, the same idea, that the, 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 the fabric was so fine that when you rolled it up, when you folded it up, it would become tiny like a nut. My malmala, so what's malmala? Something that is rolled and ultimately stretched. Fine. Says the Gemara. Vita'usan ad kamas. Well, say now, 
The Gemara raises a very interesting discussion, which, again, is an interesting discussion in general about the laws of Onah. The laws of Onah are such that the Halacha allows, Halacha understands that in any marketplace, there is never a fixed number for any particular item. So, meaning, you could go to two different stores and want to buy, or two different vendors, and want to buy the same item, and you're going to get a price differential. That's because the marketplace allows for some level of price fluctuation. However, in a transaction, if the price itself is so off, so off, so then under certain circumstances, you could void the transaction. This is the concept of ona. So ona means either both say, now people think that ona is only overcharging. It's not just overcharging, it's also undercharging. So for example, if a vendor ended up oversell, underselling something by mistake, then again, if it's, if it's, we'll see if it's a, well, we'll see. So the Gemara is about, so now the Gemara is asking over here, is now that we've established that a child has the ability to go ahead and sell property, sell, 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 I shouldn't say property, sell metaltalin, movable property, for the sake of sustaining himself. So what's the halacha if it turns out that there was a mistake in the transaction? And what, what size of a mistake allows for the transaction to be voided? So the Gemara says, It's the same halacha by an adult, namely a sixth. We'll say, take a look at Rashi. We'll say the halacha by is like this. Again, we're going to simplify somewhat complicated halachos. But the basic idea is the following. If you overcharge or undercharge by up to a sixth, meaning a sixth or less, then the halacha is the transaction stands. The difference, the, meaning the undercharge or overcharge amount, has to be returned. Has to be returned either to the vendor or the purchaser, depending on what happened. If it's over a sixth, then by definition the transaction is voided. So Rabbi Yonah makes the suggestion that the, that the transaction of a child is no different than the transaction of an adult. What happens if instead of going ahead and selling metaltalin, the child gifts metaltalin? What is the halacha? Is such a gift binding or not? Rashi says, Metaltalin mai, Metaltalin mushum kidei chayifu zivini in matanalo. Odilma matanasa nai matana, da abdule naich nashi. We'll say, this is fast. This is the second time we've seen something like this. Now, what's the shayla? The shayla is, norm, no, could we say the only reason Chazal allowed the child to engage in some type of transaction is so that the child could exist, meaning he's got to have food. So therefore, we only allow him to sell off his matanalo, but matana, which has nothing to do with what? Which has nothing to do with Matano, it's nothing to do with Kedechayim, but supporting him, he's not allowed to do. Or, do we say that one of the reasons why people give gifts is why? To curry favor with others, so that when they need something, they'll be able to go ahead and get it. In which case, again, for the Kitanim, that's also, it's amazing, by the way, this is the second time we've seen this concept. That gift giving, that gift giving is never fully altruistic. It's quite, quite interesting from a psychological perspective how Chazal looked at gift. Very interesting. In any event, so the question is, question is if the katan gives a gift, is that gift binding or not? So Mar Baravashi, Amar Matanasa Matano. Mar Baravashi said, yes, the gift is a gift. And Mar Baravashi seems to subscribe to the idea that what? That a gift is important for the Ketanim also. Because to curry favor with others is exceptionally important. On the other hand, 
I'm sorry, I skipped. So Rav Yimar Amar in Matana so Matana. So Rav Yimar said that the Matana is not a Matana. Mar Barabashi Amar Matana so Matana. Mar Barabashi went ahead and said the Matana is Matana. Afhuha Bishajruha Lekame Dirav Mordechai. So we'll say when the students reported this exchange, they reversed the names. So they brought this for Rav Mordechai. Amrle Mordechai said, Amrle Zilu Amru Labar Mar. Go and say to the son of our master, Lav Haki Ovda, meaning. So Rav Mordechai is saying, what you're telling me over is wrong. He already, he understood that either they heard it wrong or they mixed up the names. Because he said, go tell the son of my master. Rashi says over here, Zilu, Amrle Lebar Mar, Libno Shal Rebbe, Rav Mordechai Talmido Shal Rav Ashi Hayah Bekama Makomos. So the idea, so he said, go tell the son of your, go tell your Rebbe, or go tell the son of your Rebbe, Lav Haki Ava Uvda, did not the following episode happen? One time our master, Ravashi, had one foot on the ground and one foot on the step. And we asked him, what's the status of a child's matana? And what did he say? And he said to us, The matana of a katan is a binding matana. Whether the child is a shchivmeira, va'achas matnos, by whether the child is healthy, achas matanam rubu va'achas matanam wates. So Ravashi is on record as saying what? Ravashi is on record as saying that lemaisa again, the matana is a good matana. So Rav Mordechai says, go back and explain that you got your, you mixed up your people. He mixed up your people because Ravashi is on record as saying that the matana of the matana of a child is in fact a proper matana. Says the Mishnah. We both said this is a beautiful sugi. Now we're getting into both said the following is a list of enactments. Now understand, we're we're, we're transitioning a little bit because up until now, what have we been speaking about? Tikkun olam, tikkun olam, right? Now there's a chilik between tikkun olam and tikkun olam, right? So, they, they, so they, this is they're both they're both important. They're both important, but this is tikkun olam, not tikkun olam. Although again, I'm just kidding. There is an intersection between the two. Now we're transitioning to something called darke shalom. So we'll say Sadaki Shalom is a little bit different. So Tikkun Olam means society has to run a certain way. And for the benefit of greater society, the rabbis made a series of enactments. Darke Shalom are enactments made for the preservation of internal peace. Internal peace. They're not societal things. They're literally, again, internal communal things. So watch this. Eilu Dvar only is a very exciting sugya. So these are the following enactments because of Dark Yishalom. Number one, so Kohen Kohen Rishon, the Achar of Levi, the Achar of Yisrael, the Dark Yishalom. So let's say enactment number one, Kohen gets the first Aliyah, Levi gets the second one, Yisrael the third. Why? Mipne Dark Yishalom. Rashi says, Kohen Kohen Rishon, Ki Hechi Dilo Leisu Le In order, see, it's an amazing thing. Apparently, fighting over kibudim is not a new phenomenon. I know it comes. No, not in this shul. I'm saying in other shuls. Right? It's happened. Right? The Gabbai know nothing of this. So, so what happens? So again, so the Gemara says, so, so Mishnah said, Chazal already understood that this is going to be a point of contention. So what happens? So what happens? 
And the boss say to never cast a cast aspersions on Kali Yisrael. The limud schus is remember this is you don't have to get into people's egos or covet. There are times where people are chiyuvim for alios. So a person's a chiyuv for an aliyah. Let's see, you can have a situation where you have multiple chiyuvim. So what do you do in certain situations like that? Who gets and you can have also multiple people with the same type of chiyuv. So what happens? And so Chazal had a way of kind of circumventing the machlokes of saying here is the order of alios. Rashi says over here, Since it's a takanas chazal, because what the rabbi said, blame it on the rabbis. What the show, this is what the Shulchan So this is the order. People aren't going to say, "Well, I want the first aliyah." All right, you're a Yisrael. You, you, you can't have the first Aliyah. So hopefully it diminishes Machlokas. Next. So Ma'ar bin Mabayis Arshanei Darkishal. We'll say next Takana was the following. Going back to our Erevin days. Remember again, something called the Erev Chatseris. So very quickly. Erev Chatseris means you have multiple homes open up into a common courtyard. Midaris, you can carry from the homes into that courtyard because there's just a Yachid. Midirabanan, whenever you have multiple homes opening up into a common area, Chazal said it looks like a Rosh Hashanah. Therefore you have to do what's called the Erev Chatseris. Erev Chatseris means you take a little bit of food from everyone in the courtyard, you deposit that food in one of the homes. Where, as, as from a Jewish perspective, you know, by the by the Gentiles, they say home is where your heart is. By Jews, we say home is where your food is. Right. So the the idea over here is we take everyone's food, we take everyone's food, we place it in one home. That makes that home the home of all of the residents of the courtyard, making essentially the courtyard the property of one of the homes, relegating it to the full-blown status of Rosh Hashayachid. The Mishnah says something fascinating. Don't change the location of the Erev. We leave the Erev Chatseros in the same house. Because we'll say, what happens if you move the Erev Chatseros? What's wrong with my house? Right? I've had the, my father had the Eruv, my grandfather had the Eruv, right? And now suddenly again, you're taking it away from me. So what happens? So we leave the Eruv, we leave the Eruv in the same house. You don't switch it around. With Nedark Yishal. On the base. Nuntas. Bar, Shukarov La'ama, Mismala Rishon. With Nedark Yishal. We'll say next case. The way you used to work with the following, I'm just doing this quickly because of time, and we'll see this more in the Gemara. So we'll say, if you can imagine the following, you have a body of water, and you have multiple fields next to that body of water. What they would do is they would dig a channel off the river to bring the water to the field. Now, the way each field would get the water was, if you can imagine, there's the larger body of water, there's the channel. Each field would dig like a sub-channel off the major channel to pull the water into their field. What each field would also have was called an irrigation pit, which is a large pit that's able to contain a reserve amount of water in the event that for some reason the channel dried up. So the, way, the only way that, let's say, there's fields A, B, C, D, and E. So the only way that field A could fill up its irrigation pit is essentially to dam up the channel and to prevent the channel from flowing to the other fields. Now, let's say you've got five fields that feed off that same channel. The shaila is what? Who gets to dam off the channel first? So the Mishnah said, the first field, we go by proximity. As we go by proximity, the field close, the first field on the root of the channel gets to dam it off first to fill off its irrigation pit, and so on and so forth. Next, this is also fascinating. Well, say, you can't, so listen to this halacha. Let's say I'm a fisherman. 
I'm a fisherman or I'm a hunter and I leave fishing nets in the ocean or for that matter, again, I leave, I leave traps in the forest and my traps acquire something. Plus, like, technically speaking, when your fishing net acquires something in the ocean, that's not yours. That meaning, let me say it differently. You don't actually halachically own it until when? Until you take possession of it. Mashiach. That's the way it works. Any type of metallic, Mashiach. So technically speaking, if you're, if you leave a trap in the, in the, in the forest and you catch a bear and I come and I take your bear, I take your bear, technically speaking, that's not gezel. That's not theft because you didn't acquire it. The rabbis are instead that because of dark Yishalom, anything in your trap belongs to you and I can't take it. It's rabbinic theft. Rabbi Yossi Omer Rabbi Yossi says, no, in fact, the trap does acquire. Again, we'll discuss again what Rabbi Yossi means. Rabbi Yossi says, no, whatever your trap acquires for you is actually yours. And if you go ahead and, if you go ahead and somebody else takes from that trap, it is Gezel Gomer. Metzias Chere Shota Vekaton, Yerusha Mishum Gezel Mevedak Yishalom. We'll say similarly, if a Chere Shota Vekaton, these individuals will lack capacity. They go ahead and they find something. So the halacha is, so we'll say, so technically speaking, if a, if a Katan finds a hundred dollar bill on the street and he picks it up and I grab it from his hands, that's not real gezel. That's not biblical gezel because at the end of the day, again, a katan doesn't have the a capacity to acquire. So, however, again, the rabbi said, you can't do that. Whatever a cherry shot a katan acquire, it's theirs. Rabbi Yossi Omer, gezel gomer. Rabbi Yossi says, no, it's not true. Actually, they do have the ability to acquire. And if you take it from them, it's full-blown theft. Ani hamanaki ferocious. I suppose another fascinating case. The way you go ahead, if you've ever seen, you see a scenario all the time, it's amazing. How, how do they harvest olives? The way they harvest olives, say, is they hit the branches, right? They spread out, spread out like a cloth underneath, underneath the, underneath the tree. And they go ahead and they hit the branches and the olives come down. So in this case over here, you have an honey. You have a poor person who's going ahead and collecting from one of the ties. He's collecting, he's collecting olives from one of the trees. He's up in the tree. He's shaking that tree. The olives are coming down. I was like, technically speaking, those olives that come down and fall on the cloth below the tree, technically, they're not the onis, right? Because not the onis until when? Until he actually acquires it. However, Midrabanon, we say that whatever, what you shake is yours, right? Whatever you get down from the tree is yours. And if somebody else comes and takes it, it's Gezel Midrabanon. I'm sorry? So we'll see, this is not really like, this is something, this, this would be meaning more like Meister Oni. Somebody is designating a tree as Hefker, because remember, Leket, Shechah, and Peah usually only buy standing, standing grain. So the Gemara goes weiter. Rabbi Yossi, Omer Gezegon, Rabbi Yossi says, no, it's not true, it's actual theft. It's actual theft. Eim memachin biyad anie obdei kochavim beleket Shechah o Peah. And the last halacha is, technically speaking, leket, shechecha, and peah. Which I will say again refers, remember, leket is if you go ahead and you drop stocks, shechecha, you forget a sheave, peah, you have to leave a corner of your field. Technically speaking, these are tithes for Jews. But if non-Jew, if, 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 uh, if indigent Gentiles come into my field and begin to collect my leket, shechecha, and peah, I do not prevent them from doing that. Why? Ultimately, I will say, for the sake of communal peace. Says the Gemara, so I'll say, this is really a fascinating sugya. So let's go ahead and take a look. So now the Gemara is going to start with Kohen Levi. So I'm in a Hanimili. How do I know? How do I know that Kohen reads first? Levi afterwards and Yisrael after that. Amar Masna Masnad Amakra. The Pasuk says, 
Vayichtov Moshe as Torah Azos Vayitna ala Kohanim b'nei Levi. Because the pasuk says Moshe took this Torah and he gave it to the Kohanim, the sons of Levi. Atu anulo yedana the Kohanim b'nei Levi. Nino, do I not know that the Kohanim are the sons of Levi? Why do I need that to say that? Ella Kohen Beresha v'hadu Levi to teach me that. What's Rabbi say that when when in the order of Alios it's Kohen and then Levi. So it's Kohanim. B'nei Levi, to teach me, order Kohanim first, Levim second. So the Gemara says, Rabbi Yitzchak, Rabbi Yitzchak says, no, we learn it out from here, B'nikshu HaKohanim B'nei Levi, the Kohanim, the sons of Levi, will come close. Do we not know the Kohanim, the sons of Levi? Ela, Kohen, Bereisha, Vahadu Levi. Rather, it comes to teach us that what? A Kohen is first, and then a Levi. Rabbi Yitzchak says from here, B'nei Amram, Aron, Moshe, Vayav, Del, Aron, Lahakdisho, Kodesh, Kadoshim, but yet the Pasuk says again, and the sons of Amram are Aaron and Moshe, and Aaron was separated to be sanctified, Kodesh Kadashim. That shows us that what? That Aaron comes first, Kohen first, Levi second. Ah, oh, we'll say here is the Limud, Vikidashto. The Allah will say this, this is the, this is the primary Pasuk from which we learn out. The Kedimos of the Kohen. Pasuk Vikidashto, you shall sanctify the Kohen. What do we learn from there? L'chol davar shevik dusha. The coin is sanctified for every holy matter. Namely, Tana Debe Rabbi Shabbosei teaches us that whenever you have anything of ritual importance, the coin always comes first. Tana Debe Rabbi Shmuel. V'kidash, what does it mean you shall sanctify him? L'chol davar shevik dusha l'vtoach rishon. Means that the coin comes first for all for all matters of kedusha. Liftoach rishon. Rabbi he gets the first aliyah. Levarich rishon. He leads benching. Belito mana yafer rishon. The coin is entitled to the nicest portion of food. Amali abaye the Rabbi Yosef. Mibnei da'akishalom darai si. So Rabbi says Rabbi Yosef. I don't understand. So based on what you're telling me, then the Mishnah makes it sound like the coin goes first for an aliyah because of da'akishalom. It's not da'akishalom. What is it? It's a daraisa. The Kiddashto teaches me that a coin goes first for everything. That's not, I will say, that's not rabbinic darki shalom. That's a daraisa. To which the Gemara says, you're right. I'm really daraisa. Or mipne, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. Oh yeah, by the way, I'm really daraisa. Or mipne darki shalom. So he answered, you're right. It's daraisa. But do you know why Akhadosh Baruch Hu went ahead and made the coin first for everything? Ultimately, HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants us to have a peaceful, harmonious existence. I, the Gemara says, but one second. This is such a beautiful statement. But the entire Torah is focused on Darki Shalom. The Pasuk says, its ways are pleasant, and all of its pathways are peace. So you're making it sound like over here that this is like a one-off Darkei Shalom thing. The Kanish Baruch Hu wants his entire Torah to be Derecha Darkei Noam, to be a pleasant and beautiful Shalom Diktora. Amra Elo Amra says, you're right. The Darkei Shalom peace comes for the following. So listen to this. So the Dark Yishalom comes for the following idea. This Sanya, we learned, this is very interesting. We'll say if, you're, if you are eating with someone, and it's just two people eating together, so when one person pauses, let's say to take a drink or to clear his throat, proper halachic etiquette is that the other person stops eating as well. 
So when, 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 my, when, my, when my other person, my dining companion stops eating, proper etiquette says, n- not stop eating like for the meal, just the pause. When he pauses, I pause. Shlosha in mamtin. But if you have three people eating together, when one of them stops, you need not pause. Well, so the person who makes hamotzi is the one who has the right to take the condiments for the bread first. But I will say, if a person is going ahead and making hamotzi, and he wants to go ahead and yield the first right at the condiments of the stuff at the food to people who some, who someone greater than him, his rebbe is there, someone else is there, he has the right to yield, he has the ability to yield that right. We'll say, when do you have the right to yield? When do you have the right to say to your rabbi or to someone greater than you, please, you take the salt first. You take the whatever, the condiments first. That's only in your house. So by Sudi, you have the right to yield. But in Shul... You don't have the right to yield. In other words, the shul, let's say the, re- the coin's in shul and his rebbe's in shul. The coin doesn't have the right to say to his rebbe, please, you take the first aliyah. Why not? The asilin suyeh. Because ultimately, again, it will create machlokis. So we'll say, lav dafka create machlokis in that moment. But once you set a precedent that the coin has the ability to yield his aliyah, you open the door ultimately for all kinds of machlokis. So the Gemara says, Amr Masna, actually we'll say, you know what? We'll stop over here, we'll pick up over here, Amr Hashem, tomorrow with Amr Masna. Shkoyach. Shkoyach.